0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Sacred Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. It is episode 32, it's the 28th of April, 22. And today, it's just going to be a shorter episode because, um, well, because the school that I'm governor of is uh, being Ofsteded at the moment. So I was called in this morning for a governor's uh, meeting with um, the uh, the lead inspector of Ofsted. So um, basically, life hasn't quite uh, happened in the way that I was planning it to over the last couple of days. Um, So I'm afraid that you get a shorter podcast today. Next week, we will go back, uh, God willing, to looking at um, building a Christian worldview. And um, it will be looking at creation. But this is an opportunity. It's a blessing in disguise because I've just finished reading this book here, The Great Evangelical Disaster by Francis Schaeffer. And I had a couple of interesting thoughts uh, to share about that book. So it'll give me an opportunity to share about that. Uh, but before we do, let's. Um, I just want to share one or two uh, links with you which I have spotted over the last couple of days. If you haven't seen them, then you might like to have a look. Um, the first thing is, um, you may have seen Elon Musk is taking over Twitter, he's buying out Twitter, and I think that's a really, really interesting move because uh, Elon Musk is someone who seems to, you know, have a, a kind of commitment to free speech. And he has, you know, explicitly said that he, um, you know, he, he wants to make Twitter, like the, the town square or whatever it is, you know, the, the place where ideas can be exchanged without fear of censorship or shadow banning or anything like that. And, of course, you know, the certain parts of Twitter have gone into meltdown about this, you know, and um, there was a really good quote from someone on, on, uh, on Twitter um, a few uh, days ago, a couple of days ago, which I thought was really funny. Let me just read that out for you. This Elon Musk takeover is terrifying. We can't just have people going around and saying what they think. The best way to avoid this fascism is for a team of unaccountable progressives to decide which thoughts are correct via some vague, mysterious and subjective terms of service. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Now, as I've said on this podcast before, that free speech has to be free speech. And that unless something is illegal or, you know, unless something is kind of calling for for violence, then genuinely, I think, you know, we should be, we, we must be free to exchange ideas, even ideas which we think are objectionable or offensive or wrong. That's the point of free speech. It's funny, yesterday I was talking to my wife about this and both of us were saying how when we were in school we learnt that saying which I believe is Voltaire um, that I do not agree with what you say but I will defend to uh, to my death the right to say it. And that is something which I think is missing from society at the moment. People just don't think other people have the right to express opinions. So I think this is a really positive step that... You know someone has taken on Twitter who does have a commitment to free speech and who does want ideas to be to be exchanged freely um perhaps that'll be the start of a turning point you know perhaps I, I I've been thinking for a while that there's going to be a, a backlash a turning point you know that we've gone down the progressive line for only for for so long it's almost a terminus you know that it's going to go back in the other direction and I wonder if this could be the turning point but who knows on that one? We can keep on keep on hoping and praying. Um, the next thing to mention, or just a couple of things to mention, is um, yeah, a bit of terrible news when it comes to child mental health. But it was reported in the Daily Mail, mental health referrals for children surge by more than half. Um, and I've heard so many reports about this, that children and teenagers are struggling to get mental health support. Families are struggling to get mental health support for their children. And I just thought, you know, what kind of world have we created that children, particularly children, are struggling to get mental health? I mean, I know being a teenager is hard enough already, but being a a child, children should not need mental health support, really, unless there are exceptional circumstances. You know, locking children away from their schools for a lot of the two years um, keeping children away from their friends and their families, their support networks, um, you know, all of this. I mean, I mentioned last week about the um, the, the vaccine uh, rollout to children. And I think, again, you know, the way that we've treated children over this last two years is shameful. And this will really... Um, well, I, I mean, like I say this is really going to backfire. I'm not sure if that's quite the right word I'm looking for. But there is going to be a massive effect of this. And I don't think that the people who've been pushing for lockdowns and so on have got any idea of the, the damage that has been done. And, you know, we will see in due course what's happening. And don't forget that the, the referrals for mental health and so on, um, that's just the tip of the iceberg, um, there is there's is a lot more going on underneath so we need to I think we need to be be praying for particularly for our children because you know this is this is just terrible okay so those were a couple of links let me just tell you a bit about what I've learned from this book then this is the great evangelical disaster by Francis Schaeffer this was his final book I do apologise that I'm always talking about um, Francis Schaeffer. I'm not, well, I'm not always talking about him, but I've, I've talked about his books a lot. And that's because I think he's one of the minds who is, was really prophetic and insightful about what was happening back in the 20th century, which has ended up in the 21st century with lockdowns. So let me just give you a summary of what he was saying in the book. But he's basically talking about how the church has accommodated itself to culture, on many issues and the issue of abortion was a very big issue at the time I and mean, it's still a big issue but that's one of the main ones that he focuses in on and of course in terms of issues of homosexuality and marriage and and so on those are all going on as well back in the 80s the 1980s when he was writing this so Francis Schaeffer uh, saw that the church was accommodating itself to culture rather than setting the trend and and, and what I I I think he was saying is is quite interesting that it's not so much by the church just simply taking on the values of culture, but almost by withdrawing into its own kind of enclave and not going out there and saying you know this is wrong and and standing firmly, but gradually the foundations have been eroded you know that in a sadly in a lot of um, uh, even in evangelical churches so. If you're not familiar with the term evangelical or evangelical, it just means, you know, um, it's usually marked by a commitment to, to the Bible as kind of foundational. Whereas um, Catholics, uh, Roman Catholics, would see uh, scripture and tradition as kind of equal or, you know, um having equal weight in terms of doctrine, whereas evangelicals would say, no, it's only about the Bible. It's sola scriptura, scriptura, as they say. You know, It's just the Bible alone is what determines our our doctrine. That's how I've kind of understood it. And I I belong to an evangelical um, uh, church and kind of my my heritage and so on. So that's been my, that's my kind of um, viewpoint. And we can talk about that. If you're interested, then we can look at that another time. Anyway, but he's saying even in these circles that there has been a real accommodation. And actually, um, I've noticed that the the Roman Catholic Church has actually been much stronger on a lot of um, moral issues than Protestant Churches. The Protestant Churches, the Church of England notably, has been absolutely silent when it comes to a lot of these moral issues. And this is what he's saying. It's the accommodation to our culture. It's wanting to perhaps not to offend, perhaps losing a bit of confidence in the Bible or whatever it might be. You know, it's, it's about, and he, he talks about various different things, um, but it's accommodation. It's saying that we want to go with the culture and we want to be accepted by the culture. And it made me wonder whether this is part of the problem with lockdowns in the church over the last uh, couple of years, that the church has wanted to be seen as acceptable by the culture that although there are one or two issues, for example, on marriage, I mean, that um, my particular tribe within the church has stood firm about marriage, but at the same time, I don't think that there has been a huge amount of engagement with um, the press or with, you know, the media, with with the wider society about these issues. And, um, you know, it's just kind of been like... We wanted to be seen as respectable, you know, because the, the church is seen as respectable. And I think perhaps that's part of the problem that, you know, we are we're in the in group. We're in what C.S. Lewis called the inner ring. Great essay if you haven't read it. The inner ring by C.S. Lewis. And, you know, we want to be seen as respectable. We want to be seen as trustworthy by the right people. That is by the media. That is by the government. So that's why we go down the government line, we say, um, wear a mask, we say, keep your social distance, all of those things, because that's the right thing to do. Because we want to be seen as respectable rather than actually, you know, thinking, um, oh, actually, is this right? And, you know, perhaps, you know, coming to a different conclusion. Um, So I thought that was a really interesting take on it. I just want to highlight a couple of more specific things that I learnt from the book though. Um, I may come back to it in due course once I've had time to process it um, in my mind. But there are a couple of things that I learnt from the book which I think um, might, be, might be interesting to, to talk about. So the first one is he says how um, the, the more chaos there is in a society, Um, the more authoritarian the government will need to be to impose order. And what is the cause of that chaos? It's when a society departs from God's laws. And I found that fascinating, that I hadn't really thought about it quite in that way before, but that it is true, isn't it, that as a society departs from God's law, then you end up with more chaos. And if you want to hold things together if you want a society to hold together then you need to impose that order from elsewhere you need the government to come in and you need more heavy-handed policing you need to keep people under control more you know in other words you need a kind of planned or a managed society so if we want to have a smaller government we need to get back to christian moral uh, values we need to get back to the bible now, those two things are like a seesaw, you know. So Christian values um, are eroded, chaos goes up, and government has to step in. Whereas if Christian values are there, the chaos is down, and the government don't have to uh, to step in in everything. And um, yeah, that's this is the kind of thing which I really want to come onto on the worldview series, thinking about how we can. Um, Think about, you know, once I've looked at the, the basics of a Christian worldview, how we can apply that to the government. Because I think that's a really good place to begin, um, seeing as it's such a contentious issue at the moment. So that was the first thing that I, I learned kind of specifically that I wanted to, to highlight from the book. The second thing, I just came across a really good quote, and it's not kind of specifically um, uh, kind of Christian as such. But it's such a good quote that I wanted to, uh, to highlight it. He, he's actually quoting here from um, a, um, an economist and historian called Herbert Schlossberg. Herbert Schlossberg. There we go. So let me read it for you. The hatred revealed in such statements is all that can be expected in a society that has institutionalised envy and uses the term social justice to describe a system of legalised theft. That should alert us to the cant in the old fraud that property rights can somehow be separated from human rights and are inferior to them. There are no societies that are cavalier toward property rights, but which safeguard human rights. The state that lays its hand on your purse will lay it on your person. Both are the acts of a government that despises transcendent law. Those who think they will replace the competition of capitalism with the cooperation of socialism know nothing of either. Soviet cooperation cost by 1959 some 110 million lives. The alternative to free economic activity is not cooperation, but coercion. I thought that quote was absolutely it hit the nail on the head for me. That so many of my contemporaries, um, you know, millennials and, and younger people, younger generations, seem to think that the only answer is in some kind of socialist paradise. Where the government redistribute wealth so everything is free and and or or, you know make everything about um, you know just redistribution of wealth and making sure that everyone has enough. Now that sounds good. It sounds fair, but at the same time, it is, as he says, legalized theft. It is taking away, and, and as he says, if property rights are not human rights, then actually they're they're worth nothing and so we need to have a respect for the whole person and you know the kind of the free economic trade and so on um, which is um, capitalism is actually really the um, the only viable option doesn't mean there's no role for the government but uh, or for taxes Um, but i think that that should be the you know that this I guess it's just coming at this from the the perspective of saying, you know, so many people have this idea of some communist utopia, despite the history of the 20th century. And I think we need to disabuse particularly younger people of that, because it simply does not work. And in fact, I think it is actually unethical, as he talks about here. Um, And that that was something that I, I, I appreciated reading that, because you don't often hear that. So often, um, I think we talk about you know, communism and socialism as if they are viable and appropriate alternatives. And if you look at Justin Welby, you look at many of the bishops in the Church of England, that's all that they want to happen. They want the government to solve every problem. They want the government to raise taxes, to redistribute wealth. They want the government to make the poor richer and so on. And that, I don't think, is, is the Christian way of doing things. That's not to say that they're being you know, anti-Christian in, in their desire for that. But I think to rob the rich, to give to the poor, is not the right option. And actually, I did, um, uh, a, I did a series on the Ten Commandments on my other channel on Understand the Bible recently. And uh, if you're interested in that, you might like to have a look at the session on stealing. Um, and um, that might be uh, that. I just sort of go into that in a little bit more detail. Um, so those were two things which I learnt from the book The Great Evangelical Disaster by Francis Schaeffer um, Two things which I think I, I learnt from that which I'd like to share uh, I hope you appreciated that Let me know your thoughts and comments um, Either on YouTube below or on Telegram or, or via email And I can, um, I can read those out as well So um, yeah, let's move on now to finish by thinking about a passage from the Bible uh, Continuing on in Romans chapter 1 so as we started last week, then I thought it would be good to, rather than picking a different part of the Bible to go through, uh, to, to look at each time in the biblical reflection at the end. I thought we could just work our way through the book of Romans. And Romans has long been um, kind of hailed by, by Christians and, and scholars of, the, of Christianity as being a, a kind of a, a very um, clear exposition of the gospel and what the gospel is as we look through and you know there's so much to say about it but um yeah What we're going to do today is look at Romans chapter 1, verses 8 to 17. So let's have a little look at that. I'm just going to share a quick thought about this, but I'll read it out for us first. And uh, just to remind you that this is from the New International Version of the Bible. But if you have a different version of the Bible there, that's absolutely fine. You can either look at it in your own Bible, or I'll, I'll put it up on the screen on YouTube, or whatever. It's fine. Just listen. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith." I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel." Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Okay, now this, um, I mean there are many things that you could say about this passage. Because Romans is, is so uh, dense and it's, um, it's amazing. Uh, But there's a lot to say. Um, But I'll just pick out a few things there. One of the things that struck me as I was reading through this is just Paul's love for the church in Rome. Paul's love. And it comes across, I mean, all of his letters just drip with that pastoral love for the churches that he's writing to. And it's something which really struck me how his love is, the, the kind of love that he displayed is so little in evidence in society today. Um, I was watching an interview uh, the other day with Douglas Murray, I think the trigonometry interview. And Douglas Murray was saying how many things in our society have been divisive. He talked about, you know, first of all, there was um, Brexit and then there was um, uh, COVID and the lockdowns. And now there's the Ukraine and the different things. And he said, if you like, it's like the tree which goes and, you know, people have made different decisions on the way. And he said he's lost friends uh, because of it. And it does strike me that a lot has happened over the last couple of years, which really have served to divide us. But that division in this letter is, is not there, is it? It's Paul's. He just absolutely loves the church there. He wants them to flourish. He wants them to succeed. And he wants them to be mutually. You know, he doesn't see himself as being superior to them, but he wants to, them to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith and i thought wow you know that's so that's exactly what we need isn't it is that kind of is love in action is not just saying love but actually wanting desiring the best for another and particularly uh, christians you know we should be modeling that to the world i think sadly that what's happened with covid over the last couple of years has really um, divided churches um, I mean even to an extent things like Brexit before and so on um, you know that division was out there in society but it's coming to the church too but the last couple of years have really um, put division in there in a way which it wasn't before and you know there are people I'm not sure that people who would um, you know it's very difficult isn't it to see past that divide if you see um, you know someone as being pro lockdown or anti lockdown or whatever to to desire to love them and to do you know for for what's best for them um and i think this is a challenge you know not to see each other as political opinions but as people and to love one another as people um because that will actually be the beginning of healing i think when we can do that when we can start to to love one another as just as human beings um so that was the that was the first thing that i thought there the second thing, uh, just of of the couple of things that I thought, the second thing was just in that final paragraph, I am not ashamed of the gospel, and uh, you know, again, just as an aside, what a great thing, you know, that in, in today's world, even, it's people, some people are embarrassed about being Christian, some people are embarrassed about following Jesus, but you don't need to be. I, and Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the truth. It is, you know, Jesus, God is the rock. You know, we do not need to be ashamed or embarrassed about believing in him, about believing in the gospel. He says, it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And he says, um, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, the righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, something which occurs to me here is, you know, at the time of the Reformation, you may be uh, aware that uh, one of the big issues of contention between the Protestants and the Catholics was justification by faith alone. That is, that we are made right with God, not by the things that we do, but simply by faith, by believing and trusting in the promise of God to forgive us in Jesus Christ. Now, that is fundamental to to biblical uh, faith, as Paul says here. But something else struck me today in a way which... I haven't really seen before, but so much of the time I think the church has reduced justification by faith alone to just simply accepting forgiveness of sins and not actually living by faith every day and that's something which I wonder if will we'll come over more you know i just seeing you know that that um the irreverent um podcast um tagline you know faith not fear." living by faith the righteous will live by faith what does it mean to live by faith and i think it means more than simply having our sins forgiven you know that's a good place to begin having our sins forgiven that's fundamental we can't you know we mustn't skip over that or overlook that that's always what it is about at the heart of it but is there more to living by faith than simply having our sins forgiven and that's something which which struck me today that perhaps as a church, that we need to rediscover justification by faith alone. But rather than, you know, going back to the debates that they were having at the time of the Reformation, we need to, to look at it in, in a wider uh, context and look at what it means to actually live by faith, to be justified by faith, and what kind of life that we should be living as a result of it. So that's, that's what came, uh, came to me today. Um, justification by faith alone is a really significant thing by the way and if you'd like a video which looks into that in a bit more detail I did a video a few months ago called the main difference between Protestants and Catholics which just really looked at um, justification by faith alone and why it is so important, why the reformers thought it was so important so you might like to have a look at that so let's take a moment now as we close to pray And um, ask God for His help in everything happening that we've mentioned, uh, and and everything happening this week. So, Heavenly Father, we recognise the the many issues that we have in our uh, society today. We recognise the many issues even within the church today, Lord, and we bring them to You, and we ask that You would help us as a church, and help us as a nation to look to You, to put You in Your ways first. And we pray particularly, Lord, that the, the church would be able to love uh, as Paul loved, to be able to live by faith and to be able to uh, to walk by faith in everything from first to last. So we pray, Lord, that you would help, uh, help your church in this country and in the world to be a light to the world. And we ask this in uh, Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining me today on this uh, shorter episode. Um, God willing, next week we'll be back with the um, the next part of the Christian Worldview series, um, looking at creation next week and, and how significant that is. And I think that's one of the most significant things which you could say about the world, that it is created by God, and we'll look into that um, next week. Um, You can get in touch with me on uh, Telegram, you can get in touch via email at sacredmusingspod at gmail.com or you can get in touch with me um, if you just comment on uh, on YouTube and uh, the links will be all down below. And if you'd like to support me in a financial way, then you can do that via the buy me a coffee link underneath. Um, And uh, I really do appreciate any of those things. It's just great to know that people are watching this, benefiting from it and uh, engaging. And it's helping you to think, and I, I, I'm certainly learning a lot as I'm, I'm doing it as well. And it's great to have others. Um, and uh, thanks particularly. I just want to give a shout out to uh, Dominic, who commented has commented on uh, Telegram a couple of times. His comments are always worth reading. So if you're not on Telegram, there's a little trailer for you. Just have a look at um, what he what he put because it's uh, a lot of um, really good, uh, really good stuff in that, and I want um, want that to don't want that to go to waste. So thank you for for commenting, thank you for, for joining me, and I hope to see you again very soon. In the meantime, God bless.